Welcome to Convention Pulpit, Wesleyan Voices Past and Present, brought to you through the Ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention. Visit our website for an entire library of great sermons and more information on this ministry, www.ihconvention.com. Today's sermon is by Dan Glick. Dr. Glick taught for many years at God's Bible School and College in Cincinnati, Ohio. And on the day that he presented this message in 2015, there were many young people gathered in the chapel, looking the school over as a way of possibly finishing their education there. The sermon title is, It's Not About Your Face. As he preaches this message, you'll understand he's talking to young people, but the message is good for us all. I know you're going to enjoy this wonderful sermon. I'm glad you're here this morning. We're all happy that you're here. And we're trusting that uh, this will be a great day for you uh, on our campus today. And uh, I want you to know that uh, we're interested in you in a variety of ways, in a number of ways. Before I explain, though, I want to ask you how many of you looked in the mirror this morning? Okay, a couple of you. <laughs> Maybe that explains some things. Uh, I looked in the mirror for a brief moment this morning, as little as I could. When I was younger, I used to look longer. But as I get older, I, I want that mere experience in the morning to be rather brief, just to make sure a few things are thrown in the right direction. Uh, because as we age, the face seems to fade a bit, and a few wrinkles come up on the face, and hair begins to fall out or turn gray. And the mirror experience isn't quite as exciting as it was when we were younger. <clears throat> so some of you, I can tell, have looked in the mirror, and you look nice. Uh, but I want to tell you this morning that God's not very interested in your face. You know that? He's just not. Now, I know the world seems to be fixated on face. And what I mean by face is not just what lies here between your ears and the front half of your head. Uh, I mean in your overall appearance. I go to the uh, Planet Fitness, and I was working out there for probably an hour and a half last night. And I can tell that the world is very fixated on face. You ever notice that? You ever walk through a grocery store line and you get out to the cashier and you see all these magazines? A lot of fixation with face, isn't there? Did you ever hear somebody say, you know what the church is interested? They're just interested in the externals of people. And I'm like, what? 
Have you ever been in the world? <laughs> you ever walked down Main Street? You ever gone through a checkout line in a grocery store? You talk about the fixation on the outward and the appearance. It's everywhere. And when we buy into that culture, when our concerns, our energies, and our behavior reflect this truth, that it's all about our face, it's all about the outward, then our life is a carnal one, not a spiritual one. Really. It's not your face, sweetheart, that is going to win the world. It's another part of your anatomy. Now, I want you to all look down right now, okay? Just look down, and what do you see down there? You see your feet, right? Isn't it your feet you see? Can we have the scripture up here? Isn't it your feet you see? Do they look beautiful today? I know if your mother would have wrapped them more tightly, they would look better. But it, I heard a groan over here somewhere. I don't know what that was about. But it's your feet that God's concerned about. Do you know that? Because it is your feet that will take you somewhere in life, not your face. Actually, the church gets very concerned about face sometimes. Organizations get very concerned about face when God's concerned about their feet. Where are they going? What are they doing? The Bible says that we ought to let our feet be shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Where does your time go? I've watched people walk around with their big cosmetic bag. I guess they think they need it. I'm letting them say that. All right? The more they cover up, the better they look. That's the way it's getting with me. I always wear a hat because I look better in a hat. There's no face mask yet that's acceptable at GBS, but when there is... You get my point, right? When your time and your energy is all about your face, I'm talking to guys and girls. You're living a carnal life, not a spiritual one. It's okay. It's all right to give attention to face. It really is. A toothbrush and a pair of tweezers will do wonders for some people. That's not bad. But I'm telling you, when you think that's the essence of life, you're missing something. Amen. You're missing the values of the kingdom of heaven. When you come to GBS, which I suspect all of you will, or that you should. We're going to talk to you about your feet, not about your face. Because we're not all that concerned about your face. Because we know God's not. We put a heavy burden on ourselves. We allow our culture to do it. We allow them to reduce our value to what we look like. And that's pathetic. It really is. Your value isn't what exists out here. It's what belongs in here. It's what's in here. It's where your feet are taking you. When you die and are buried and it's 500 years from now or even 100 years from now, and for some of us, a lot less. 
When you're laying in the front of a church or in some building somewhere and people file by, they're not going to be talking about your face. They're going to be talking about your feet. So look at your feet. Where are you headed? Where are you going? Are you ready to get your feet prepared to proclaim the gospel of peace in our world? This is a world filled with strife. And God wants to send you out as a peacemaker. And you're going to have to take the gospel with you. You're going to have to proclaim it and preach it wherever you go. And unless you're giving attention to your feet, instead of just being consumed with your face, God's going to bypass you and use someone else. Now the scripture says in Romans chapter 10, actually, I'm going to start reading a little bit earlier than what uh, is listed there. That's no fault of his, it's mine. I just want to back up to where Paul said, for it is with your heart that you believe. You see, it's the heart that matters. It's with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there's no difference between the Jew and the Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all those who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then Paul asks a set of four rhetorical questions. He frames them in the negative instead of the positive, and he argues backwards instead of forwards. Don't you like messages that aren't always canned and come to you the same way as the last one? I like this kind of framing of the questions. Paul says, how then can they call on the one they have not believed? Okay, he just said, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's wonderful. You just have to call in sincerity and from your heart, and you'll be saved. Whoever calls on the the name of the Lord will be saved, but how can they call on the one whom they've not believed in? How can they believe in someone in whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without somebody preaching to them, communicating the message of Jesus to them? And how can anyone preach unless they're sent? As it is written, and then Paul makes the great quote from Isaiah 52, 7, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. That's why it's your feet, brother, that matters, not your face. I don't see too many faces here today that are going to win the world. On a scale of 1 to 10, we're mostly 4, 5s, and 6s. Sorry, I just got to be honest with you. Paul, Paul, Paul even said he didn't win his audiences with his appearance. He probably got stoned. He probably had a very misfigured face. He just turned the world upside down with his feet. One girl sat at this school sometime back in the cafeteria. It was way back, so I don't get any ideas in your mind, at least three weeks ago. <laughs> She said, you know, I knew as a child I was never going to be a beautiful woman. And she said, I knew I could be a beautiful person now. And she said, I have worked at developing a a beautiful spirit. 
And I'm telling you what, she has a beautiful spirit. Do you ever see a beautiful person that's so ugly you don't want to be around them? Yes. I have. You have. I don't care what you are. You can be a beautiful child of God with feet that take you places that help turn the world upside down. That's what God wants to do with you. Now, notice what Paul said. He said it starts with sending and it ends with salvation. But he goes backwards. How are they going to call and be saved unless, unless what? Unless they believe. How are they going to believe if they, if they don't hear? How are they going to hear if, if they haven't had a preacher preach to them? And a preacher here is all of us. And how are they going to <clears throat> preach unless they're sent? The sending starts with God and the saving ends with God. But there's a few steps in between that involve you and I. And we have to get ready for taking part in this process. Now God sent Moses, didn't he? <laughs> Moses didn't want to go, but God sent him. God sent Gideon. He said, I'm the least of my father's house. He didn't want to go, but God sent him. David, the eighth one, the little, the little runt, the little guy out there that nobody even thought about. That's who God sent. Jeremiah was sent. Just read Jeremiah chapter 1. Isaiah said, Lord, send me, after he was purified, and God sent him. Paul was sent, clearly. Ananias, go to this man. He's on, he's, he's on straight street. I've struck him down. He's ready to do what I want. I'm sending him to the whole Gentile world. He's going to stand before kings, this guy. Jesus sent 72 out in Luke chapter 10. He sent them out and then even said, the harvest is great, the labors are few. Pray that the Lord of the harvest would send, send, send forth labors. It starts with sending. God does the sending. The church helps in the process. And I can tell you if you're a God-called person and you'll respond to God's call, he'll send you out and he'll send a lot of people around to back you up in that, in that sending. That's right. So God does the sending and then there's us. We go. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We go. We do the preaching. And we can preach in a thousand ways and we do preach in a thousand ways. You know what, the other day I was getting some exercise in one of the parks of Cincinnati, I had a couple students with me. We were up on a ledge and I looked down on a, a little lower area of that park and I saw a girl sitting there reading her Bible. And it was marked up, man, you talk about a marked up Bible. So I, I said to the students that were with me, let's go talk to her. And we slipped around and came up and I said, uh, <clears throat> so I see you're reading your Bible. I said, what's your favorite book? And, What's your favorite book in the Bible? She didn't miss a beat. She said Philippians and Ephesians. And she was reading in Philippians right then. I couldn't find a verse. It seemed like she hadn't underlined. I said, how long have you been a Christian? She said about 10 years. She's 28. She got converted at 18. I said, you've been raised in a Christian home? She said, oh, no. I said, tell me your story. She said, I lived up in Youngstown, Ohio. When I was 18, I moved down to Cincinnati, I think, for her last year of high school. And this is what she told me. She said, 
one of my friends in high school introduced me to Jesus. And my life's been changed. Just introduced her to Jesus. And here's an entirely changed life. She hadn't heard. But this girl was sent by God. She preached the word, the message. The girl then decided to believe. She heard. You see, those last three steps are up to your audience. They're up to the people listening to you. It's your duty to listen to the voice of God and be sent into this world. Whatever that is. I'm, I'm talking about occupation here. I'm talking about being sent by God to be an ambassador for Jesus Christ in this world. Whatever your occupation is. And then... You preach. You preach by your attitudes. You preach by your actions. You preach by your attire. You preach about everything you're doing is preaching. That's what it's doing. And when you're preaching the truth, the message of God, people can hear. Now they have to decide to believe and call. That's not your business. That's theirs. And when they call, God comes back in the picture. He saves. So you see, the sending starts with God and the saving ends with God. But you're a vital part of it. And you better get your feet prepared. Shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Yes, I did just come back from Israel. It's too bad. <laughs> and I leave for Israel again in four weeks, and that's very good. And if you come to GBS and you are here for four years and don't take a trip with me to Israel, you can get four credit hours with it. You can. I told a girl that at IHC yesterday, and she's like, she's ready to sign on, and she's from another Bible school. <laughs> you see, there's more than one way to recruit. group of 24 people there. I like to take 12 to 20. I don't like the 40 to 60. I was talking to people yesterday, I mean all day, uh, Wednesday and Thursday. Everybody wants to go to Israel, but seniors have the time and the money, okay? So after they go, go hit them up for what you need to go. And while we were talking there, uh, I told many people, I said, you know, I don't like to take 40 to 60 people to Israel. Because I said, do you know what a bathroom break looks like when you have 50 people? It looks like an afternoon. I like 12 to 20. But in this case, I had 24 because one guy bought 15 tickets, 10 for, 12 for his family and two for his pastor and his, his pastor's wife. And, so anyway, he said, please, can we not stop at 18? Can we go to up to 24? I said, yeah, that'll be fine. So my wife and I, there were 26 of us. These were Mennonite-like people, okay? They look like Mennonites. They dress like Mennonites. But most of the people of the world don't know the difference between a Mennonite and an Amish person. They have no clue. And so everywhere I went, they were saying, are the... Are the, what are these people? I said, they're Americans. What? These aren't Americans? Are they from Germany or something? I said, no, they're from America, but they're like, are they Amish? I said, no, they're not Amish. Are they Mennonites? Well, they're Mennonite-type people with a kind of a common heritage with the Amish, Anabaptists. One Jewish woman 
attractive, middle-aged, well-heeled, Orthodox Jewish woman in Bet Shemesh said to me, she came up to me in the mall and she said, who are these people? She had stars in her eyes. I said, they're, they're Mennonite, gave her the spiel. She looked at them, then she'd look at me and she said, she had a 14-year-old daughter and her daughter would translate a little bit of what I'd say interpret because she didn't get everything in English and she said, they're not Amish. I said, no. Uh, she, I don't think she believed me. She finally said, this is just like the movies. <laughs> And I'm like, what, what? I mean, even Amish in the city or something gets to Israel or whatever the, the line is, I don't know. But a Jewish rabbi taking us through the Western Wall tunnels, he couldn't get enough of my group. He kept over and over going on and on. I mean, like he, he added an hour to the tour and I was ready to go to my next site and he's like, I'm sure if you'd have brought up Jesus Christ, ah, he was a strong man, so strong that when other tour guides would come through and try to get us to go so they could have our spot, he just blew them off. These are American Amish. <laughs> and you're not hurrying me. This is my day. This is my hour. The managers at the hotel said, Wow, these people. You know, they're interested in seeing, they're, they're not interested, they're used to seeing lots of conservative looking Muslims and Jews with sour attitudes. Dr. Brown can verify that. Not all Orthodox Jews. I tell people I'm only anti-Semitic every other day. <laughs> Depends which Jew I've encountered. Okay, I love them all. Okay, that was a joke. <laughs> But it's amazing. People are afraid to go into the West Bank and encounter Muslims and Palestinians. And some Palestinians are Christians, others are uh, Muslims, and others are nothing. But they're very hospitable. One person said to me yesterday, you're kidding, you go into the West Bank? Isn't that, isn't that dangerous? I said, no, what's dangerous is to walk Vine Street at midnight in Cincinnati. <laughs> Not really, guys. It's perfectly fine. They've cleaned crime up on Vine. Things are good there now. Lots of shops, coffee shops, donuts, everything down there. But the point is, they're very welcoming. I said the safest place in Israel is on an Arab bus in the West Bank. All right, you figure that out. My group was staying at the YMCA across from the King David, 10 minute walk from the Jaffa Gate. There's a guy that stands at the door, a young Jewish man. He's about 25 years old. Every day he watched my group come in and out. Every day he tried to engage in a conversation. Every evening he wanted to talk for hours. An elderly Mennonite-like type couple from New York would sit with him by the hour. Then one night I came in and my, he had my wife corralled. She, he was talking to her for a long time. And I tried to act like, I tried to scurry by without, I knew my wife would call me. I'm out of answers for this guy. Please, will you come? No, I'm tired. And then I thought, no, I can't do that. I went back and spent a long time. You talk about questions. He's read the Tanakh. He's read the Old Testament. Never read the New Testament. And at one point in our conversation, I said, I want to tell you something. You're going to have to read the New Testament for this conversation to continue. I'll be back in May, the end of May and 1st of June. He said, you will. Will you meet with me? 
I said, I sure will. He's reading his New Testament. He, at one point, that Mennonite couple told him, the lady said, you know, you can have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. He literally fell on his knees in front of them. I can. Yeah, you can. You see, even if you're a Mennonite on a tour in Israel, you are preaching. The question is, what are you preaching? You're preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. They would say, oh, you're all dressed so differently, like Orthodox Jews or like Muslims. And they would always say, it's not about how we're dressed. You see, it's not our face. It's our heart and our feet. I don't say that it's not concerning your face. Make sure your face reflects what's in your heart. You know? That's why it's important. I can't take a lot of Christians up on the Temple Mount because the Temple Mount police will say, add a few clothes, you'll look better. That's not exactly what they say, but they want you to be modest. The Jews too. Many Christian sites too. It's kind of a shame when you have Muslims and Jews lecturing Christians how they all look. Okay, I thought I'd just throw that in there. <laughs> We're called to go because God wants to send us. We're called to preach because we have the message. I don't want to take for granted the heritage of holiness that has been passed on. I don't want to lose the fire. Thank you for listening to Convention Pulpit, a ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention, featuring Wesleyan voices past and present. For more sermons or for more information, visit www.ihconvention.com. This ministry is made possible through the financial support of our listeners. You may give online at ihconvention.com or send your donation to IHC, Post Office Box 99, New Berlin, Pennsylvania, 17855 USA.